0: Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. All right. Good afternoon. Thank you for watching this virtual luxury event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit IWP.edu. This afternoon, we'll be hearing from Professor Norman Bailey and Mr. Bernard Tubel. Dr. Bailey is a professor of economic statecraft at IWP. He currently resides in Israel where he has taught at three different institutions of higher learning. Professor Bailey has a background in the armed forces, business, finance, consulting, and academia. He is Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the City University of New York. He is a graduate of Oberlin College and Columbia University. Mr. Bernard Tubel is for the last 30 years international expert in customs administration and enforcement, border management, international trade facilitation. He was involved in institutional and governmental development in many countries, including Africa, Asia, Central Asia, Western Balkans, specializing in policymaking and strategy crafting for combating illicit trafficking and trade-based money laundering related frauds. He was an official of the French Customs Service. He also holds several graduate degrees in international trade, business administration, and political sciences. Dr. Bailey and Mr. Tubal, welcome, and thank you for joining us this afternoon.
1: Thank you very much, and uh, greetings to everyone. Um, The book that we're talking about today, uh, The Servants of the Devil, the Facilitators of the Criminal and Terrorist Networks, was published in February. Uh, The book is about the legitimate uh, professional firms, such as law firms, uh, accounting firms, public relations firms. Financial uh, firms such as banks and other uh, businesses, um, NGOs, uh, and high-tech companies that facilitate the operations of the criminal and terror- terrorist networks, uh, fully understanding and knowing what they do. Um, it, we will now uh, turn the turn the uh, uh, program over to uh bernard who is my co-editor in uh, this book and um uh, to present uh, a summary of uh, chapter one the introduction and uh chapter two of uh, on uh, professional facilitators. bernard
2: thank you very glad either legal or illegal but after the cold war the, the um the the world has changed with the emergence of uh, multiple uh, non-state actors that are as rich, powerful, and influential as states, and that can even oppose and fight the non- nation-state. So it's now possible uh, to be both communist and capitalist, to be good and bad, and bad to be a businessman and a gangster, and all of that at the same time. So it's a form of a hybridity. Of actors that has been created in a complexity of social, economic, and political interactions. Also, this uh, undisputed victory of capitalism that has paved the way for a total freedom of enterprise, where the logic market, the logic of market, is the engine of the of the world. A total freedom of enterprise without uh, limit for globalization to finally create its own perversion. So the financial crisis of the liberal system has led to the formalization of the use of the dirty money for crime and terrorism as a systemic and indispensable engine for the balance of world economy and its uh, financing. This, uh, this has uh, intensified the opportunities for criminals to affect, the, uh, to affect the life of, every, of everyone and on a daily basis and in, um, in the very terms of the social contract between state and citizens. This osmosis, meaning this uh, constant interpenetration between the hybrid legal and illegal globalization, creates both legal and illegal wealth. But it's also uh, the opportunity to transform this illegality into legality and vice versa. And this is what facilitators offer, in fact. These conditions that create an environment in which criminals and terrorists can emerge, thrive, continue to influence, and finally even govern the world, both politically and economically speaking. Today, the amount of dirty money infiltrating the legal world economy is so large that it cannot be removed, otherwise the world order would be seriously endangered or even uh, would collapse. We see more and more states that today officially include even the share of the illicit economy in the calculation of their national wealth, in the GDP. We speak about 15 to 20 percent in Europe or even in countries like in Balkans, we have we reached even 50 percent of the GDP is based on the illicit economy. And I think that this infiltration is too deep now just to be an anomaly that the liberal market system could absorb or even rectify by itself. So the criminalization of economy has brought about a profound change in transformation in the nature of the political and economical actors of influence and power. First, for instance, the um, entrepreneur is no longer the moral character of the 18th century traditional bourgeoisie. He is now a predator with a sense, a feeling of total freedom of enterprise. He's aggressive, violent against his competitors or anyone who could uh, disrupt his plans, And even to the point of using illegal methods of uh, corruption, bribery, intimidation and the like, simply to survive or dominate in the global market. The borderline between businessmen and gangsters becomes definitely now very blurred. Second, the usual distinction between legal and illegal economy is no longer relevant. The impact of dirty money, criminal and terrorist activities can no longer be ignored in this new dominant economic model which is built on complex interactions between legal and illegal businesses. You may know that uh, according to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the 40% of all foreign direct investment in the world is invested in shell, phantom, or offshore companies in tax haven. Third, the convergence of interest between terrorist groups and organized crime shows how terrorists today now use the methods and networks of criminals, and how conversely, the criminals use corruption, intimidation, excessive violence, which is typical of terrorism, to create, maintain, and keep their territorial zones of non-governance far beyond the reach of state law enforcement. In fact, even in criminalization of terrorism or the radicalization of crime, both ultimately come together in a business and profit-seeking logic. Often. We see the initial militant ideological struggle of terrorists, for instance, gives way to a motivation of an easy and quick enrichment for a criminal elite. In fact, the heart of war is still and always money. Therefore, the efficiency of the crime fighting and control policies can only be limited if if they do not take into consideration this hybridity and variable geometry of crime and terrorism network. Criminals, actors, criminal actors are still often categorized and labeled under single heading. They are either terrorists or criminal. It's like either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, but in fact, it's exactly the same man. This has long been a mistake, and it is even worse because of the inadequacy and failure of the international cooperation that is necessary between sovereign and national law enforcement agencies and justice jurisdictions. Also another point is the acceleration of this change in the hybrid nature of crime and terror is the result of new technologies in cyberspace. The new routes of real-time data and information exchange through internet, have opened up new avenues for trafficking of information and thus of goods, money, and people. This is, of course, linked to a strong culture and belief in science associated with social progress. So money is generated and then injected into the global economy in complete anonymity through opaque mechanisms and networks. Criminals. And terrorists are like ghosts, omnipresent, and their cyber crimes affect masses of anonymous victims. They can strike everywhere on the planet, everyone at the same time. Anyone can be a victim, and at the same time, anyone can also be a cyber criminal. In, in addition to all of that, all criminal activities require to interact deeply with legal businesses for buying or selling goods and services in a business like manner. Criminal organizations produce as well, distribute, sell, purchase, invest, make profits on legal and illegal uh, products. They are very careful of covering their operational costs or reinvesting in business strategy of internationalization or specialization and so on. The difference is that they do not pay taxes to the state and they do their own justice. Crime should no longer be seen or treated as a manifestation or a symptom of a marginal behavior from marginal actors, meaning those who are said to be unable to understand and appreciate the benefits of our dominant model. And this is what led today to the very low level of seizure of laundered money, less than 1%, or the level of seizure of illicit goods, less than 10%. Finally, I I would add to that a key factor is also that the fundamental democratic principles in the service of the human dignity are also key drivers of the criminal economy. Indeed, democratic suffrage allows criminals and terrorists to use their social pressure on the population. Don't forget that uh, they provide jobs to people, protection, access to money, kind of justice to people. So they can offer blocks of voters to corrupt politicians in exchange for laws favorable to their illicit activities. Or they can even create their own political parties and influence the legislative power, like in some countries, like in Lebanon, for instance. In conclusion, and maybe most importantly, the relationship between state and crime in liberal democracies takes the form very often of a capitulation or resignation, and this, there is a deep tendency of acceptance and legitimization of violence and injustice inherent to crime and terror by states and population alike, even if deeply penetrating in their daily life. So this is what I wanted to say as introduction for the uh, global book, and if you allow, I would go to the, uh, uh, the next chapter which is related to the uh, professional, um, professional facilitators. Professional facilitators, but maybe more importantly, about the framework of the or the ecosystem of facilitation that is offered to criminals and terrorists to accelerate and intensify their nefarious uh, activities. Facilitators are not just these uh, immoral and scrupulous, corrupt, uh, professional white-collar characters who sell their souls to the devil and uh, are often stigmatized or demonized in books and uh, even in the Hollywood movies now. Of course, these are legitimate nonviolent facilitators who without bloodshed and legally speaking, help criminals for their technical expertise of, of, of lawyers, accountants, communicators, computer specialists, NGOs, and so on. But there are also several over-facilitating factors that shape the environment in which this technical and operational facilitation can take place. So there are, of course, these facilitators who belong to the criminal organization, to the mafia family, to the terrorist groups. They have an internal function within the organization to organize money laundering, set up offshore companies, carry out online cyber attacks and so on. They have high degrees usually and their studies are paid for by crime. Another facilitating factor comes from states that use criminals and terrorists as proxies with hidden interests. They facilitate their existence as much as they can decide to fight them in a policy for combating crime and terror. They are also, there are, of course, deviant states, Russia, Iran, whatever, but also our own democracies which play this double game for reasons of domestic policies, or international and uh, geostrategic foreign policies. There are also the multinational companies that contribute to this ecosystem, which in total freedom of enterprise, exploit human beings, affect the environment through corruption, intimidation, opaque tax arrangements, and uh, and so on. And there are also the citizens. They are key actors of the liberal and democratic consumer society. They are usually ignorant or negligent consumers, but they are also those who consent to a level of acceptance and legitimization of criminal activities. They determine the types and volumes of criminal products on the legal and illegal markets. There is also the responsibility of the media and media moguls, of course, that construct the image, the collective consciousness, the truth of the public about who is criminal and who is not, who should be demonized or who should be tolerated. They shape the belief system of each of us as citizens, public society, or consumers of information. Eventually, there is the key factor of internet, with its technical tools, actors, users, and regulators who allow Through cyberspace to organize, prepare, execute their mass criminal and terrorist actions in total anonymity, in time and space ubiquity, to finally remain far beyond the reach of law enforcement and justice. So it's within this framework that our professional facilitators can act and sell their, and uh, most of the time, legally speaking, their technical expertise to the devil. As to weigh any over normal client. And for many reasons, might be money, might be influence, competition, fear and intimidation as well. Also, because it's simply possible. So they navigate and surf on the vulnerabilities and technical or legal weaknesses of the legal and financial system. So in conclusion about this chapter, Who should be blamed for facilitating crime when everyone is concerned and involved more or less directly and consciously, and especially when state abandons its governance role to the benefit of criminal and terrorist networks? Thank you. And uh,
3: over to you, Norman. Thank you very much, Bernard. Um, Before I go on to the next chapter, which is about uh, financial facilitators, of um, uh, the uh, criminal and uh, terrorist networks. I just want to mention uh, uh, one uh, example of uh, the professional uh, facilitators. In uh, 2016, an American NGO uh, sent uh, people around to 13 of the most prestigious law firms in New York and asked for their assistance in setting up a network of uh, front companies. Uh, which were obviously intended, although they didn't say so openly, obviously intended to uh, launder money. And um, of those uh, 13 um, uh, very prestigious law firms in New York, only one refused uh, to uh, to take the to to take the business. Anyway, <clears throat> that we will. Uh, I'm going to now um, discuss chapter three of the book, which is uh, financial facilitators, particularly banks. Um, The chapter was written by uh, two um, Israeli investigators, uh, Yitzhak Zahavi and Yaron Hazan. Um, Criminal and uh, terrorist networks use uh, banks and other financial institutions primarily for two purposes, um, the laundering of uh, illicit funds which they have received and that they put then into the uh, the uh, legal uh, economy, and uh, for the movement of funds among and between the various uh, criminal groups and uh, terrorist organizations to finance their activities. Um, The traditional methods of uh, money laundering are the use of shell companies in uh, various uh, countries uh, around the world uh, and uh, banks uh, also uh, in various countries around the world uh, who interact and uh, and facilitate the transfer of these funds uh, for the uh, criminal and um, terrorist networks. Uh, However, the new methods are becoming more and more important, such things as crowdfunding, video games, fantasy sports, luxury cars, fine art and antiquities, capital market trading, trade-based money laundering, and finally, and probably most important of any of these, cryptocurrencies. Uh, To quote the authors of this chapter, quote, this is the best way to transfer value and stay anonymous unquote, namely the use of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and many others. Uh, The um, authors uh, finish the uh, chapter with a um, case study uh, from 2012 of the uh, HSBC Bank, Hong Kong and Sheehan Banking Corporation, Uh, the multi-year facilitation by the bank of criminal money-laundering and financial transfers, which led to a $1.9 billion fine and five years of monitoring uh, by the Department of Treasury uh, in the United States. Um, I'll now turn it back over to Bernard, who will summarize chapter four, for the business facilitators.
2: Okay, okay, thank you very much. I had a little bit of instability on the line, so sorry, so I'm back now. So, regarding the business facilitators, the key point is that today, there is a deep nexus between crime, politics, and business through endemic corruption, model laundering, and violence. But uh, at the same time, governments remain unresponsive very often to societal, political, economic, and sanitary crises. now. So, this creates a void necessary for crime to penetrate all layers of economic and political governance. This led to a criminal business model where criminals manage their activities according to very usual principles of uh, like cost and benefit analysis or maximization of profits in order to finance operational activities, of course, but also to develop and maintain a business position in legal and illegal markets and also Position in the terrorist ideological movement like uh, Al Qaeda is doing today. In fact, criminal organizations use exactly the same theoretical models, strategies, and techniques of business organization, management, production, marketing as any legal or conventional businesses. They are micro economic functional units of the hybrid world economy in the both licit and illicit globalization. They need interaction with legal companies in order to navigate easily between legal and illegal. They use offshore shell companies in tax havens, recycle and launder dirty money, invest transfer funds across borders, extend their influence over territories or economic sectors. Today, the cash flow needed to feed in the international financial bubble comes from multinational criminal organization. The Drangheta, Italian uh, mafia, the profits are higher than profits of Microsoft or, 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 or the, of uh, McDonald's and Deutsche Bank together. The returns on investment in criminal industries are much, much higher than in any kind of index like CAC 40 or Dow Jones or whatever. But in parallel, and as a consequence of capitalism, the ignorance or acceptance of the criminal dimension of business is the way for the legitimate companies to remain present in a, in a business or on a market. In this new economic business model, it's necessary Necessary to compete with legitimate and illegitimate competitors that unfairly steal subsidies or produce and market counterfeit products or or, or whatever. But anyway, those who become dominant on the market. This is a deep change in the business world. You know, 30 years ago, criminals were looking for complacent banks to launder money. Today, the banks are looking for this dirty cash flow to make profit and remain in the banking business. Any individual business, SME, multinational, any businessman producing, distributing, can deeply be involved consciously or not in a hybrid web of uh, both legal and illegal activities that ultimately, anyway, serve the interest of crime and terrorism. Every legal business can be instrumentalized targeted or victimized by a strategy of alliance or competition between criminal and legal businesses. In fact, and it's interesting, interaction with legal businesses follow very clear and strategic objectives. They target the cash flow intensive businesses for money laundering, the bars, the restaurants, uh, and, and nightclubs or whatever. Cheap, they, they target cheap labor intensive businesses, to reduce costs by exploiting immigrants, women, children. Businesses that benefit from state subsidies like in transport, sector, construction, agro-business, and businesses involved in newly or not yet regulated markets. So as a conclusion, it's a matter of fact that today, in this hybrid economic model, criminal organizations have the power to influence, affect, and even control all types and all sizes of businesses, meaning the whole world economy. Thank you again, and over to you, Norman.
3: Thank you very much, Bernard. And let me just point out that one of the most uh, spectacular examples of a business facilitation of a terrorist uh, network was uh, when the um, uh, oil trading companies Uh, purchased and distributed uh, the oil produced by Islamic State, or ISIS, uh, in uh, northern Iraq and and, uh, western um, um, and eastern uh, Syria, um, because they were very happy to do this, because uh, they got the oil at a discount, which increased their profit margins. And the fact that it was uh, one of the most horrible terrorist organizations in the history of the world didn't bother them in the slightest. Okay, a summary of Chapter 4, which um, is—Chapter 5, I'm sorry, which is nonprofit facilitators. This chapter was written by Rachel Ehrenfeld, who runs two think tanks in New York. Um, They're international and international um, advocacy (coughs) organizations—excuse me have taken an increasing role uh, in um, international relations, uh, think tanks that generally um, claim to be uh, in, in uh, uh, promoting environmentalism or human rights, or that they're charitable organizations, and actually have as their purpose uh, advocacy of uh, uh, national and international policies which are favorable uh, to the interests of the uh, criminal and terrorist networks. Uh, some examples of these given by um, uh, Dr. Ehrenfeld, uh, the is- International Islamic Re- Relief Organization, which is affiliated with al-Qaeda, the Third World Relief Agency, uh, which funded illicit weapons traffic in the Balkans and the Middle East which is affiliated with the Taliban, Uh, the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development, uh, which is uh, funding Hamas. And uh, at the end, uh, Rachel gives, as a case study, the Open Society Foundations of uh, the billionaire George Soros, uh, which has funded over several years uh, dozens of uh, criminal and terrorist-linked groups. Okay, over to you, Bernard, for a summary of Chapter 6, High-Tech Facilitators.
2: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Norman. So this uh, last chapter is about the facilitation from uh, technologies and internet in the cyberspace. Cyberspace is the point of interaction between a physical world and a virtual world, imaginary world, without boundaries of time and sp- of space. It's a world where technology is both the promise of a bright future and the domain of most frightening threats for humanity. A humanity with a deep belief in rational science in a hyper-connected world, but unlimited access to everything and everyone in real time has become the, the immense opportunity for crime to intensify the anonymity and virality of its actions. It's the ultimate battlefield where criminals act at the speed of light, while law enforcement and justice can only respond at the pace of law and administrative bureaucracy or even limited by divergent national jurisdiction. It's a dimension where criminals impact the physical world and go back into hiding disappearing into an invisible world. So the very nature of crime and criminals has changed. The line is blurred between the traditional immoral criminals with key aptitudes to violence and the cyber criminal acting with a deep sense of total freedom, almost juvenile. Since uh, in cyberspace, nothing can be forbidden, feeling that nobody can catch him, feeling that nobody can know who and where he is. That is a very good example of the Silk Road application that we explain in the book, with Rosalbricht from the uh, perfect geek, in fact. Also, the cyberspace has uh, shifted the focus from the value of things to the value of information and data. The routes and movements of data trade are the key targets today of cybercrime and cyberterrorism, like routes of trading goods where targets of crime and piracy. Therefore, the facilitation phenomenon takes new forms to enable digital intrusive but non-violent fraud, without bloodshed, without uh, any physical contact between criminals and mass victims. It makes now possible to steal people's identity, to uh, embezzle a huge amounts of money very discreetly, to disseminate fake news anonymously, to develop mass propaganda in the real time, for radicalization, recruitment or promotion of hatred and terrorism. Also, social networks play a major role in personal data frauds. The likes of uh, Facebook become our enemies. Cookies are the most effective spies in our lives. The main changes in the very concept of crime are becoming more and more visible. Firstly, the asymmetry between the criminal and his mass victim, or between the means used and the results obtained, is characteristic of cybercrime. Secondly, cyberspace allows states to affect foreign economies, weaken infrastructures interfering the democratic process of election, and all of that without even being an act of war. Thirdly, there is nothing personal in the game of, uh, of cybercrime. Anyone can be a victim of cybercrime, but anyone can also be a cybercriminal without leaving any evidence behind him. Anyone can uh, access the dark web, consult YouTube for a recipe on making a bomb or whatever, buy bitcoins online in total anonymity. As in conclusion, crime existed before internet, for sure. But cyberspace and those who know how to use it and how to navigate in it have created an environment that is even more conducive for crime and terror, while the law and the state are absent. It makes criminals to have now definitely an easier, a more profitable, and a more discreet life. Thank you, Norman, up to you.
3: Thank you very much, Bernard. Uh, summarizing now uh, chapter seven uh, of the book, uh, the conclusions and recommendations. Um, in beginning my uh, discussion of this chapter or my summarization of this chapter, I want to, to mention uh, besides all of the other facilitators that were um, uh, covered by the various chapters in the book uh, that, that there are now uh, state actors such as Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Turkey, which extensively use uh, these uh, criminal and the terrorist networks uh, for their own purposes. Uh, uh, some of the most obvious are, of course, the uh, the use by Iran of Hezbollah and um, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, um, but there are, are many other examples of the use of these. Uh, criminal and terrorist networks by uh, states. And the uh, emergence of what one might call criminal states, such as Lebanon, which is um, a sovereign state. It also happens to be controlled by a criminal uh, terrorist organization, Uh, Guinea-Bissau in uh, in Africa, which is entirely controlled by criminal networks, having to do with uh, the trafficking in in uh, illegal drugs from latin america to europe and uh, venezuela which facilitates all kinds of activities of this nature and has become a criminal state Uh, in terms of uh, conclusions um, uh, i would say that that there are three principal conclusions and here i'm going to quote specifically from the book um, a very significant portion of the world's economic and financial activity is now controlled by criminal syndicates, often allied with terrorist organizations, unquote. Secondly, quote, all efforts to deal with, much less to defeat this burgeoning criminal terrorist network, have been a manifest failure, unquote. The only only example we have in the entire world of an agency which has been quite successful in its, in its task is the U.S. Treasury Department. Other than that, all the efforts of the um, uh, law enforcement agencies of the Western countries uh, and other countries around the world have been manifest failures in this respect. Um, the role played by the criminals and terrorists reveals the need for a new paradigm of economy and governance. and our recommendations have to do with this new paradigm, and we recommend uh, you, attacking directly the facilitators of the uh, criminal networks, because and, and uh, terrorist networks, because they they crave uh, legitimacy. They uh, they are they are legitimate businesses. They are legitimate banks. They are legitimate. Uh, professional firms, uh, NGOs, um, and uh, high-tech companies. So, naming and shaming is a very important part of what should be done by the uh, law enforcement uh, agencies. Uh, specific legislation uh, directed towards the facilitators should be passed in the in the countries involved, with the establishment of specialized units In law enforcement agencies, national and international, uh, uh, and and, uh, throughout the world. Uh, Okay, uh, Hannah, I think at this point, let's uh, open it up for questions and answers and discussion.
0: Yeah. um, So now we're going to take questions. So if you have any questions for Mr. Tubal and Professor Bailey, please feel welcome to comment in the Q&A section at the bottom of your Zoom screen. So the first question we have here is is a two-part question. So I'll ask you the first part first and then follow up with the second part. How will blockchain and cryptocurrency affect the infusion of dirty money into the global system?
3: Well, as I as I mentioned, um, um, uh, cryptocurrencies, which is a blockchain um, um, uh, application, um, is is probably the single most important contemporary um, financial help for the criminal and terrorist networks. Uh, it is totally anonymous and. Um, it is going to make uh, law enforcement, with reference to money laundering and the and the financing of criminal and terrorist uh, activities, uh, more uh, more difficult than ever. Uh, so, um, uh, it's it's certainly a, a very important uh, element that needs to be addressed directly.
0: The second part, um, will it make forensic tracking and source receiver identification easier or more difficult, if not impossible?
3: It's going to be uh, much more difficult. Uh, Whether it's impossible, it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, hopefully it's not impossible, uh, but um, uh, my own personal view, and uh, there are lots of people who are better qualified than I am to address this particular issue, uh, in my own personal view, uh, the, uh, the cryptocurrencies will have to be simply shut down, and it will eventually um, uh, be, be, uh, become clear and obvious that that's what has to be done.
0: The second question we have, um, why doesn't the media slash politicians, etc. emphasize these factors?
3: well I, I i would say there are that's a very good question incidentally i, I would say there are two reasons um and sometimes they they they, they come together <clears throat> one is was ignorance um obviously uh the criminal and and uh, terrorist networks and their facilitators don't advertise what they're doing i mean they, they they try to keep it as secret as they can, uh, and uh, therefore, the, the ignorance is one possible answer to that question. The other possible answer to that question is that they're complicit. Uh, that uh, some of the some of the politicians, obviously, in in many countries throughout the world, are corrupt. That they they're being paid off by uh, by the particularly the criminal syndicates uh, to. Um, uh, support uh, uh, behind the scenes uh, their activities and not to directly attack them and so on. Um, and uh, and as far as as the uh, media are concerned, uh, I can only say that a great a great deal of the of the media at this point is uh, made up of uh, propaganda agencies for various uh, um, point of view and the idea of independent journalism. Has uh, to a very large extent uh, disappeared, uh, unfortunately. Um, but there has, there has, there have been um, substantial uh, investigative work done on various aspects of money laundering and uh, business facilitation, uh, and uh, there have been um, some books uh, published about these uh, these various things. So there, there, there has been some um, uh, media attention paid to it.
0: Next question I have um, is how is this affecting the world stock
3: markets? Oh, how is this affecting the world stock market? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, since uh, a great deal of the uh, the, the activity, of the economic activity in the world, is now run um, by criminal organizations. Uh, they clearly are manipulating, in many cases, the stock market. I mentioned that also in 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 talking about uh, the uh, uh, the more contemporary uh, uh, measures of uh, money laundering and terrorist financing, and so on is manipulation of of uh, the stock and bond markets. And uh, uh, there's no question about it that. Uh, um for example uh I would say and I I don't have uh, the, the time uh to um uh, to go into it in, in any detail uh but the fact that the stock markets have been uh, uh, generally speaking doing very well during this horrible uh, coronavirus period when uh, the economies have not been doing well at all uh it might very well be as a result of this kind of manipulation by the criminal networks. Uh, High-frequency financing is, in terms of uh, the contemporary use of these uh, tools, uh, extremely important. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: Next question um, I have for you is, how do we drive a sense of urgency for decision makers to address facilitators and criminal terror terror networks pose. The interim national security strategic guidance is rife with other priorities, including domestic policy, the pandemic, the economy, great power competition.
3: Again, a very excellent question. And um, it is up to the the people who are supposed to be and are charged with um, fighting the criminal syndicates and uh, terrorist organizations to make it clear to their bosses, their political bosses, that it isn't going to work. What they're doing isn't going to work unless the facilitators are attacked directly, named and shamed and brought to justice and fined with a huge uh, fines and, and so on and so forth and in, in some cases simply shut down. Uh, and uh, the the law enforcement people have got to make this clear to their bosses. Now, it may be that their bosses are corrupt. This is all, it's quite possible, and in, is in, in certainly true in many countries in the world. Uh, <clears throat> but in in which case, uh, there, there's absolutely, there's nothing to be done. But I, I hesitate to think that in the major countries of of the Western world, particularly in Europe and North America, that uh, that this is uh, is uh, uh, true uh, throughout the uh, the political structure.
0: Next question I have um, is: We know that Iran is supporting Houthis in Yemen. Why did we think it was a good idea to remove Houthis from the terrorist list?
3: I'm I'm sorry we remove one?
0: to remove the Houthis from
3: the terrorists? Ah, uh, It was a very bad idea. I mean, uh, if, I want, if I wanted to take up the whole rest of our time or just uh, um, uh, listing all of the bad things that, in my opinion, have been done by uh, all of the American administration since uh, George W. Bush, uh, I could uh, occupy two or three hours uh, from now on but this is just one, this is the uh, in a series of uh, very bad moves. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, it seems to me that the Biden administration has decided it's simply going to reverse um, whatever it can of, of whatever the Trump administration did without la- actually looking into whether it was a good idea or not. But simply saying, if Trump did it, then we're opposed to it. and. Uh, and we're going to reverse it. It certainly, uh, we saw the effects of this uh, on, in the border situation with Mexico. I mean, instead of examining the situation and deciding what aspects of the of what uh, the Trump administration did should be kept and what should be changed, and 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 uh, doing it uh, gradually over a period of time, uh, simply at a stroke in the first day. Of, uh, of, uh, of the Biden administration, they reversed the entire um, uh, stru- uh, immigration structure that had been erected by by Trump. And, and now we see the effect of it. And I could go on to other examples like the Keystone Pipeline and so on. And certainly the, the removal of the Houthis from from uh, the terrorist list is, was a, was a, a very uh, stupid thing to do.
0: Next question um, I have for you is, reportedly the Islamic Republic of Iran has many financial assets in the U.S. and Europe. They utilize these assets for illicit actions, of course. They have bank accounts and businesses, et cetera, and can actively use them. These are not assumptions, but facts. Why don't we close their assets?
3: Well, that's another very good question, why don't we? And uh, again, I have to say it's either because uh, the situation is not understood by the people who do it, or those people they, they don't want to because either they're corrupt or because they believe that uh, what uh, are, is being um, uh, advocated by uh, the Iranian regime is is uh, is good, and um, and uh, any one of those three reasons is a very bad reason, and certainly those activities should be shut down, and and again our conclusion in in our recommendation in the last chapter of the book. Is precisely that you have to go after the facilitators and and um, and shut them down. Uh, Otherwise, uh, forget it. I mean, directly attacking the uh, criminal and um, terrorist networks is not going to work, and we've already seen that. (coughs) And the only the only uh, thing that has has been successful are the activities of. of the treasury department, which of course is, is attacking, um, the, the financial facilitators of the, uh, of these, uh, organizations.
0: The next question I have for you is in many countries, facilitators and criminal organizations are so entwined with legitimate governance, where we risk killing the patient by removing the, Um, parasite. Is the goal to minimize the facilitator slash criminal network impact or to remove the parasite?
3: Actually, the goal, uh, if if, uh, if governments pay attention to what we're saying in this book, uh, the goal is to make it much more difficult for the uh, criminal and terrorist
1: networks to function. I mean, that is what the facilitators do. They facilitate. They make it easier for the criminals and terrorists
3: to function, to do what they're doing. And and the uh, the purpose of of attacking the facilitators is to make it that much more difficult uh, for the criminals and terrorists to operate. Uh, so, um, is it is it likely that even if uh, our recommendations were adopted the whole cloth by everybody. That, that we would eliminate all uh, criminal and terrorist activity. Of course not. I mean, um, uh, criminal and terrorist activity has been going on for centuries. Uh, but it, 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 the the point is uh, now it it is it is it, it is ingrained in the structure of the whole economic system of the of the Western world. Uh, and this is a this is new. This is a new development.
0: One attendee asks, please elaborate on additional actions that can be taken in addition to public shaming.
3: Well, you can, uh, of course, uh, um, bring them to justice, Uh, accuse them of of, of, uh, uh, and and, and indict them and uh, uh, and try them and um, which incidentally will name and shame also, uh, but uh, and and you either find them or, or shut them down uh, if you if you are successful in convicting them. Uh, and in many cases, it's not that difficult to uh, to uh, identify. I mean, the 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 oil trading companies that bought ISIS oil and distributed it are well known. The uh, the, uh, the the law firms that were contacted by this NGO in the 2016 with uh, money laundering in mind uh, and 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 who agreed to um, uh, to uh, engage in this activity are uh, well known law firms. Uh, the, the 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 banks that are, that are the that were the biggest bank in Denmark, the biggest bank in Germany, uh, HSBC. Um, in some in the uh, uh, Citibank on um, have all been uh, uh, indicted and tried and either uh, made a, a uh, an agreement with the prosecutors or were convicted and and some of the fines were gigantic, as in the case of HSbc, which was mentioned as one point nine billion dollars i mean that 's not a
1: a, a small fund <clears throat>
0: All right. Uh, due to the limited time that we have this afternoon, we'll take two more questions. Um, the next question I have is, what what do we want to do with Iranian oil ships heading to Venezuela? I believe that the max pressure worked very well against the is- Islamic Republic. Venezuela is sending gold to Iran, reportedly. Why don't we take action actions against these illicit activities? <laughs>
3: okay. Why why aren't We, by we, I presume the the questioner means the Western world in general, or maybe they mean the United States particularly, I don't know. But the fact is that um, uh, instead of taking action, well, the Trump administration took a lot of actions against both Venezuela and and Iran, uh, but they weren't sufficient to to start to, to cause a regime change in in either of those countries, uh, but certainly uh, that effort should be continued and and strengthened. Instead of that, uh, the Biden administration is is trying to go back to the um, the original uh, uh, agreement with uh, with Iran, which was a terrible agreement uh, that was signed by the well, actually nobody signed it, but anyway, it was made by the uh, Obama administration. And so we're going in the opposite direction as far as that thing left partisan as as run is concerned. Uh, but uh, you have other countries now which are, are engaging in these activities. Actually, the, uh, the attitude of the Biden administration towards China, I think, is much better than it is uh, otherwise. And they're, uh, they're, um, uh, Trump is actually quite friendly to uh, Putin and Russia and Biden is much less friendly, and that's good. Uh, but, um, uh, and Turkey uh, is getting away with, uh, with all kinds of activities that are contrary to the interests of the Western world. And you know, why it is still a, a, a acceptable member of, of NATO, for example, is a total mystery. Uh, their, their membership in NATO should have been suspended or they should have been uh, expelled from NATO a long time ago. I mean, um, uh, this, this uh, is not uh, rocket science. I mean, it's a uh, simple um, uh, taking advantage of, 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 of reality.
0: And the last question that I have this afternoon is, what do you believe are some actionable ways we can slow and mitigate the spread of this ethical and moral entropy infecting our commercial and governmental organizations?
3: Okay. What I'm going to do at this point, I'm going to leave that one to uh, for Bernard to uh, to respond to.
2: Bernard, are you there? Yes, yes, I am here. Uh, Norman. I don't see. Uh, I don't see the question anymore. Can you can you repeat it, Tana, please?
0: Yes. Hang on. Sorry. Let me pull it back up. Um. What do you believe
1: are?
0: Oh. Some... Here's the question: uh, What are what do you believe are some actionable ways we can slow and mitigate the spread of this ethical and moral entropy infecting our commercial and government organizations?
2: Yes, this is what we said and what uh, Norman has explained and highlighted about the naming and shaming. First of all, this is quite a, a strong, a strong decision and quite stronger action. Uh, other type of action could be uh, the raising awareness and responsibility. As we said, the uh, consumer, the citizens, already one of the key actor and one of the key uh, uh, major elements of this uh, mechanism and this uh, uh, entropy of affecting uh, the consumption, the consumer the citizen the democracy, the uh, governance, and so on. So this is definitely a, a factor that uh, has to be uh, action as well. Uh, the last one or another one at least is the. Uh, the possibility to give back governance to the state and to uh, over actors and the criminals and the terrorists who are playing the role that should take uh, should be taken by the by the government in many places. <clears throat> I have some uh, examples and we have described some examples in the book about uh, Western Africa, Sub-Saharan, Sahel region, all those countries where the, the state has disappeared From uh, such big uh, portion of the territories where it is definitely left uh, 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 empty for the jihadists and terrorists to take place and to take uh, to take the 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 control of the situation there. So giving back governance, strong presence of the state in the different places for the governance, and giving back a lot of uh, a lot of pressure for raising the uh, awareness and the responsibility of the consumers. And citizen. I believe more on the working of the quality of the consumers and citizen, more than the overtype of action at the beginning. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you. I believe that is all the time that we have this afternoon. I would like to thank Dr. Bailey and Mr. Tubal for joining us this afternoon and all of you who tuned in here on Zoom and Facebook. If you're interested in attending other upcoming webinar events supporting IWP or applying to one of our graduate programs, please go to IWP.edu. Again, that's IWP.edu. Thank you, everyone, and have a great afternoon.